anger, sexual lust, the sorts of things that you experience when you're playing a video game. All these concepts originated with Karl Marx. How's it going, everybody? It is the end of the only year that there has ever been and the only one there ever will be. That's right. It's the year 2021. Uh, we are going to do something a little different this time here on AGAB, uh, and we're going to do a little game of the year. Games of the year. Uh, because we are the only people whose taste you should be taking into consideration, the only people whose opinions on really anything you should be listening to we expect really total compliance uh, as a podcast. Uh, I am, of course, your host, Kay, and I am joined, as always, by Kyle. Kyle, have you heard of video games? Yeah, I have, I have heard of approximately three video games that we shall discuss together. I'm excited to learn about three more video games that you've brought um, <laughs> to the table. I think... It's been it's been a year. It's been it's been a year. Uh, it has been a year. <laughs> a, a lot a lot's happened. Um, I can't say all of it great. I can say a lot of it very good. Um, mm-hmm. I'm pleased overall. Um, more than anything, what I actually have not checked it. This seems to be a tradition among podcasts is not recognizing when you've had your uh, one year anniversary as a show. Um, and I believe... Yeah, we're at about a year, right? I think the first episode was released in December of last year, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, let's let's double check this. We got to get the data. I'm we got to get the stats. I'm on it. December 12th. Ooh, we are recording this on December 16th. So it's almost a year to the day completely by accident good job us yeah so it's been a year of agab how does it feel to have a full year of video game podcasting under your belt it's it's, it's transcendent really um mm. it can't be described properly because um you know it, it, it's it's a, it's an honor to be i'm sure it's an honor to be chosen by your community to, uh the community of gamers to represent them on the podcasting stage yeah. But what's and even, we do we represent them all? Yes, yes, we represent them all. Uh, I think what's even better about our situation is when you um, uh, crush your enemies in order to become uh, uh, the 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 sort of supreme leader of the gamer class. Um, because not only have we sort of inspired unity of the people, we've also inspired fear of our might and greatness. That's right. <laughs> As for me, I would like to thank the Academy. Uh, I would like to thank MILFs everywhere. Uh, just for making this possible. It's really those two. Yeah. <laughs> those two factions are, are the reason that this podcast can, can the function. Milf, and the MILF exists. Academy. Thank you to the MILF, the Milf Academy. Academy for sponsoring this podcast. Yeah, and that's, of course, where people go and learn to be MILFs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, important important for society uh before we get into the prestigious agab uh game of the year awards that everyone is vying for every 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 uh studio 
every developer uh they've been crawling over each other they've been stepping on 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 people who who they once called friends just to try to get uh, a whiff of that kind of prestige uh before we talk about that speaking of people stepping all over each other for advancement what if we did the opposite of that union ways have we, has anyone ever tried that in a workplace uh are you have you ever heard of this kyle do you, uh, unions um union no you've heard of this uh yeah aren't those those uh those uh outside third parties that get away of the special relationship between bosses and their and their employees aren't they uh those outside agitators that we don't want disrupting the mentoring relationship that we have with one another because you can just go to your boss with your concerns and your problems <laughs> that's true or hr who is your friend yeah yeah your buddy hr <laughs> Don't worry about it. Totally your friend. Absolutely. Uh, so to that end of, of being so uh, obstinate and disrespectful, um, several, well, not several, but a, a ton of workers at Activision Blizzard have, well, they, they are now organizing, basically. Uh, I just want to read a quick little statement that is on the GoFundMe that we are going to link and talk about briefly. Uh, in June 2021, an article was published which highlighted the abuse, harassment, and discrimination that occurred within Activision Blizzard's offices. Since then, Activision Blizzard leaders have continually abused, union-busted, and remained apathetic to the wishes of workers. In the months since, we've seen CEO Bobby Kotick and the board of directors protect abusers and only hold perpetrators accountable after the events were brought to light by outside media. And it goes on to explain a few of their other grievances, but I think that that bit there really captures the theme of what's happening at Blizzard. And anyone who's been following this is going to be very familiar with Bobby Kotick, is going to be very familiar with the abuse allegations. Um, the Jimquisition has covered uh, extensively for probably years at this point the things that have been going on at Activision Blizzard. Uh Enemy podcast, video games are the worst thing on earth, uh, has talked about that at least a couple times. So what these guys are doing is they are uh, going on strike and they have a strike fund up uh, on GoFundMe because obviously the first place that strikers are uh, or, or that, that a strike is pressured for people to give in is financially because their pay is controlled by the organization or individuals that they are striking uh, against. So collective funding of strikes is a massive first step in making sure that the strike can continue realistically. Uh, and this, I think, is a really important sort of moment to do this because there's been a lot of there's been a lot of talk about organizing in the video game industry, which is an extremely exploitative industry where people are, you know, attracted to it because they're passionate about the art. And that passion is abused uh, by people who can hold their kind of career over them in something they love to, you know, get them to stay quiet about things that they shouldn't, uh, such as uh, sexual abuse that happens at Activision Blizzard. But this past year, I mean... As fucked as this past year has been, we've, we've been seeing a lot of 
uh, a lot of strikes, a lot of a lot of workers sort of organization, uh, a lot of it out of necessity because things have gotten really quite severe, obviously under COVID. Um, but seeing this in the industry is really exciting. So I think it's important to, to get behind this. What do you think, Kyle? Yeah, we've covered it on the show a million times. It's, it's, it's repetitious at this point, but there's uh, a lot of sort of, there's, there's a lot, there's a level of exploitation in the games industry that's gone a little more under the radar because of exactly as you were describing AK, this it's an industry that takes advantage of people's like sort of like long held relationships with the medium and uses that to, in the same way that other sort of employers, employer language is often attempting to try and merge your personal and private life with the workplace via these kind of paternal utterances in a culture that places an emphasis on a constructed like family atmosphere, which not only is bullshit and not only is like indicative of sort of like there is clearly they're trying to take the stuff that you care about and that you like and use it against you, but they really are just merging with your everyday life via the sort of, I was on a podcast yesterday talking about the Kellogg strike and like, can you imagine working seven, like 12 to 16 hours a day, seven days a week for four straight months, four straight months, Jesus. seven days a week. Yeah. Um, which like, I mean, I worked in campaign politics. Sometimes you pull hours like that, but not doing what they do. Uh, and in the games industry, it's the same thing. Like you, you take your art and you take your passion and the thing that you care about and they use it to do labor exploitation. And to the point of the strike fund, um, strike funds are really, really necessary because it helps organizers and unions gauge uh, how long they're going to be able to stay out on a strike. And they need to be able to, at the very least in the beginning, demonstrate that they are intending to stay out as long as necessary because it's a very simple sort of battle of escalation. What's going to, what will happen is that the, then the employer will respond in some way. Trying to essentially like if you're if you're in contract negotiations, for example, there's going to be multiple contracts brought back to the union, and you want to be able to say "fuck you, no," because the first one's probably going to be bad. Um, yeah, and you need to know that you can stay out for as long as you need to, and for as long as it takes, and take care of your people because you're not getting paid for that time. Uh, people talk about going out on strike in a very sort of like romantic way, and I understand. Like, I actually don't hold that much against people. But I do also caution people, especially on places like reddit.com. And it's not that I don't <laughs> not that I don't think you're well-intentioned. I really do. But you need to understand that when it comes to organizing in the workplace and union organizing, a strike is literally your last resort. Um, going out yeah. on a strike is really, really scary because you don't know what's going to happen. And you're essentially putting yourself and your family at risk because you think that if you push your employer, you can make some gains for everybody. It's that it's risky. It's precipitous. It's it's a risky, but sort of war. It's a worthy risk to take. Um, and so it's something to be taken really seriously, which includes the ability to for unions to raise as much money as possible. That the in the United States, there's uh, various laws on the books for states called right to work which basically means a lot of people think that that's the same thing as at-will employment. It's at-will employment is when um, uh, you, you and your, empl your employer can essentially fire you without due cause or without sharing that cause necessarily. They can fire you basically for whatever they want. Right to work 
is legislation that prohibit that prohibits unions for creating closed shops. And it basically means that anyone who goes and work at that workplace can essentially opt out of the union while still ga- gaining all of the benefits of the contract. Um, it yeah. severely limits unions' abilities to ke- collect dues. I lived in one in a very fiercely anti-union state for a long time that had right-to-work legislation on the books. And now, recently, after the first time, not lived in a right-to-work state. Uh, when I went to go work at UPS, for example, they said, okay, here's your union card. Sign, You have to sign it, basically. And I'm like, oh, yeah, give me that thing. <laughs> but yeah, 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 it's important that the money and the dollars and cents are important because the sort of basics of the negotiation and the the sort of the the tactics, it, it, it gives unions longer that they can stay out and it gives them more that they can do. Um, so, yeah, it's important that everyone who's able to gives a little bit. And I think we could really help out. Yeah. Absolutely. And if uh, if you have a strike fund behind you as well, then your boss is going to know that and know that they can't just ignore you for a few days, that you're going to have that staying power potentially. Uh, and that, I think, is a very important sort of psychological element as well, especially in an environment where there has not historically been a high level of worker organizing, like in the video game industry, where mm-hmm. I think management and and above in in these companies have really gotten used to the idea that they don't really have to pay attention to these grievances which is why things have gotten to the point where as you say the the last resort of the strike is what's is really the only thing left on the table for a lot of people because I'm in Activision Blizzard all the you know quote unquote legitimate processes of dealing with these problems have been attempted a billion times and they just don't give a fuck so it's time for, you know, uh, economic pressure uh, in in terms of this strike. And um, I'm really hoping that the sort of actions we've been seeing this year in this industry are able to set a precedent and maybe clue some people into the to the idea that this is something you can do. Or... At the very least, this is something that the threat exists that you could do from your boss's perspective. Yeah. So we're going to include the uh, strike fund down in the description. I would really encourage everyone to pop in a few bucks. It doesn't have to be big, whatever you can. But the point of this kind of thing is it doesn't have to be yeah. a huge thing. We don't need you know people who can put in millions of dollars. You know, if you can get a million people who can put in 10 bucks, that's better, you know? Absolutely. Uh, we have people, they have money, um, but, you know, they can't fire all of them. They could try, but there's an, there's yep. an advantage of the games industry is that it's pretty like, yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of people who do programming who would be looking for work to try and scab or whatever. But at the same time, like not only is it highly specialized work, but like if you've been working on a game for however long, someone's just going to, I don't, I don't code, but someone's just going to come in and just like be able to perfectly navigate everything that's gone. Like, no, I think there's a, I think there's potential to pull like, Mm. to pull your for a lot of stuff to happen if they if people pull their labor in the games industry it's going to make everything go haywire because it's going to make it all their deadlines are going to get pushed back um like i mean games companies are comfortable doing that but 
there's just like <laughs> I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of like hay to be made, so to speak. That I yeah, uh, I think you're totally right. I think everything I do again, I'm no expert on this, but everything I do know about actual like the production side of video games, if everyone leaves and then they try to shove in just like a, a whole team of scabs who haven't looked at this code before who haven't interacted with like the processes of how everything's being put together by the studio before it's going to be fucked like you you can't it's going to be a nightmare uh, and the game's going to come out fucked too or you're going to have to spend a long time redoing things and ultimately spend way more money so it's not desirable it's not like it's not like uh i don't know a, a retail job where you just need to put bodies in in chairs uh and even then you run into I would say to a lesser degree, but you run into problems where you now need to train a whole new crew of people yes, into whatever specific processes are in your store or whatever. I think this is just a more extreme version of that problem, which is good for the workers. Yeah, it has this like, I think there's a lot of potential there. Clearly, you support all workers, especially who are striking out in their workplace to try and improve their benefits and make life better for everybody, bring sort of everyone's quality of life at work and at home up. Um, but uh, it's an expanding industry. I don't know. Yeah. Should uh, shout outs to Code CWA. Shout outs to who, who else was doing games workers? Was it the UE? I can't remember. Shout outs to Code CWA. I'll just do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and of course the ABK Workers Alliance who are the the Activision Blizzard mm-hmm. uh, group who are who are uh, doing the strike and the strike fund and who have organized walkouts and and all, all the good stuff. So, shall we get on with the most prestigious award show in all of uh, gaming? Is that our theme? Yeah, I made it up. No one's. Yeah, it. that's it. that's it. <laughs> that's that's original. staying in. That's that's it. That's the <laughs> Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy. I just do Final Fantasy for the lyrics. That's perfect. That's great. I don't think any Final Fantasy games came out this year. I might be wrong. No, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here's the deal. Each of us have have brought three games that are our top three of the Year of Our Lord. 2021 and we're just going to talk about him a bit we're going to keep it nice and easy kyle would you like to go first or would you prefer if i went first we haven't actually planned that um i figure we can go um like every sequential other. like we'll each yeah. do one and then yeah I, but someone's got to go first yeah i've got a d6 in front of me i'll be odds and you can be evens okay let's go six k goes first all right it will be done so, the first winner uh, of the uh, official trademarked AGAB Game of the Year award um, brought to you by Monster Energy Drink and brought to you by the Mo- <laughs> Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah. yeah, brought to you by the Chinese Communist Party in partnership with Monster Energy. Drink. Yes, exactly. Thank that's you. That's the way they're that, building productive they, forces. Yeah, they're building productive forces. That's this is what they told us to say in the ad read, mm-hmm. which is a little surprising to me. But yeah, you know, it's that's what we got. That's what we get paid to do. That's right. By yeah, the yeah. Chinese government, right? right. So. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, but the Chinese Communist Party uh, with Monster Energy Drink and also somehow USAID 
which I think we've somehow we've, <laughs> somehow we've been both bought out by the Chinese and the American deep state. So I don't like. Well, I mean, clearly we're we're playing both the, sides. Yeah, yeah, we're playing both sides, so we always come up on top. That's right. That's right, baby. All right, the first game of the year is Death's Door. Now, this is, it's going to be a very indie-heavy uh, game of the year as well. In fact, I don't think there's a single AAA title on our, our lists. Um, in fact, uh, most of them we haven't even spoken about on the pod before, so it's going to be a little, a little bit of a surprise, a little wild ride. Right, so Death's Door is a game made by developer Acid Nerve, and it's kind of a, I, I would call it a top-down Zelda-like game. Even though part of me hates that sort of like, it's like this other thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, but like, I feel like when I say that, you know what's going to be in it, right? It's going to have dungeons, sword combat, certain types of like movement and creatures. You know, it's, it's one of those. Uh, it's a really charming game with a baller fucking soundtrack. Uh, and uh, have you played it, Kyle? I have Jen? not, no. All right, that's fine. I have not played a lot of Kyle's games, so we're going to be explaining games to each other, basically, is what's going to happen here. It's going to be good. Um, it's it's a pretty somber game, so the premise is that you are a little crow dude, and you work basically at an office uh, that runs the, the business of being Reapers. Uh, you are making sure the souls, they go when people die from point A to point B, uh, you collecting them up, and it's all, it's like a very, like, you know, straight-laced, bureaucratic sort of uh, afterlife uh, administration that you work in, which is, is quite funny. And the main premise of the game is that there's a few who, you know, by whatever means or mechanisms are refusing to die and uh, unnaturally extending their life, and it's causing a lot of really serious problems. And the whole thing is basically an argument that there is a selfishness in sort of pursuing immortality and that there there's a point where you can't you have to eventually accept what's going to happen and, and pass on the torch as it were and that always makes me think about like a lot of american politicians right now <laughs> you know <laughs> like um like uh, rbg she she i've always thought of her when i think of some of the some of the, uh, there's a particularly, uh, there's like a giant toad boss who refuses to die. And uh, just like the hubris of, of assuming your own, uh, not only uh, ability, but like entitlement to uh, immortality, to, to continuing to exist. And the assumption that you'll continue to be like uh, relevant and appropriate in, in your existing. And I think the game is really just an exploration of people who have failed to come to terms with that and, and people who, uh, some of whom are coming to terms with that and kind of what that means. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a cute, sad little game and it, it plays really, really nicely. And it just feels, it just feels so appropriate, I guess, for our cultural moment that I think is defined in, in a lot of ways by this, lumbering thing that should have died a long long time ago but it's just 
it will insist at every turn that we need it. It has to stick around. It's so important. It's so special and 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 better than anything else that has come before it or that could conceivably come after it. That it simply has to remain forever. Not unlike the the emperor uh, from Warhammer 40k on his uh, undying throne. The art is really lovely. Um, yeah, it looks really nice. It's like not there. What is this? There's something about it's not all 3D games and it's not all 3D art, but there's something sometimes about contemporary. There's certain trends that I'm not entirely precisely sure of when it comes to 3D games for some reason that just always kind of turn me off and it makes me immediately want something more simple. Yeah. Um, and not to say that this is like an overly cluttered or like, no, it's a very, it's actually very simple sort of in its, but it's just very, it's very, it's soft. It's not too, like, it's not too yeah. harsh. It's not too much. Yeah. It's not. I feel like the uh, subject matter it deals with could invite a lot of trying very hard to be like, I guess, edgy. Yeah. Um, but it isn't. Um, it's just, it's, it's sincere in it's like, not just in the writing, but like, you know, the presentation and the art style and everything about it. Um, and it, it's just really fucking good. If you like those kinds of games, dear listener, uh, if you enjoy, you know, the top-down Zelda games, um, uh, I, I would say like Children of Morta. It's it's roguelike, whereas this isn't. But I think it, it plays uh, a lot of the the characters in it play in ways that make me think of Death's Door. Um, give this a shot. I think you'll get a lot out of it, and I think that there's a lot of narrative beats in it that'll really, really stick with you. And that's it. That's my presentation on uh, Acid Nerves Death Store. It's a it's a Devolver Digital published game, and they've just been kind of knocking it out of the park for a few years now. I consider them like a um like a double A studio. Like they they just put out like consistently good, usually like reasonably like well funded indie games. You know, because the the mid tier game doesn't really exist anymore. Uh, the most part like i remember on like the ps2 there was loads of mid-tier games but now it's mostly either like it's got the budget of a fucking like hollywood film or it was made by like three guys in a basement which does describe one of the games that i will talk about later um so this is kind of it's a nice middle ground they got some really good stuff and uh i'm not sure if we've ever talked about a devolver digital game did we ever do an episode on carrion no no, we had talked about it, I think. Okay. Well, we will at some point, I'm sure, because they consistently put out pretty interesting stuff, and this is another banger from them. And that's it for me. Right. You are Every, everyone to to clap yours. at home. If you're listening, you clap. Clap, clap for clap the game. Clap for Death Store. They did it. Congratulations. That's Thor. Your award is in the mail. Don't open it too fast or it could explode. Oh, that's good advice. Yeah. Okay, so our next game is a game called... Uh, now, I'm kind of cheating because this was originally <laughs> a mobile game um, that came out a couple of years ago, but uh, uh, several months ago was... And I don't know that I mean I'm very happy I'm very happy for them because I think it's a good game. But uh, several months ago it was 
ported to PC, PS4, Xbox One, and Switch, I think. So I played it on Steam. Uh, this is a game called Golf Club Wasteland. developed by Demagogue Studio. Um, I think a couple of, I think there's a, I think there's, I think it's three or four people, uh, several who are from Serbia. And I think one guy may be American um, or from North America, at least uh, there's, it's a game about golfing at the end of the world. Essentially the, it's a post-apocalyptic game. And it, 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 we have no shortage of those, of course. But it's a post-apocalyptic <laughs> game about how the rich basically destroyed Earth and then took off to Mars, um, where they live on uh, a place called Tesla City. It's a little long. If I had one criticism, wow. we're, already, we're, we're already running into it. If I had one criticism, at the very least, is that it's a little on the nose. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot on the nose about sort of the game, but I think that's actually part of its charm because it has a bit of a sense of humor about it too. I think also sometimes its politics can be a little confusing, um, but at the same time, I'm not too sensitive to that kind of a thing. I'm more interested in how they're able to use sort of, they're able to like wind this story, the story through the mechanics of the gameplay, which is literally that rich people come back to earth to play golf in its wreckage. So yeah, Golf Club Wasteland is basically you come and you play in the the wreckage of a decaying earth. You play a little game of golf. There's 36 holes, I think. It's not the like. There's a there's a story mode where it basically gives you as many sort of it, it gives you as, as many hits as you want. So you are not. So if I'm understanding correctly, you are not one of the regular people left behind by the dickheads who moved to Mars. You are no. one of the dickheads from Mars coming down just to you, golf. Is you're that some right? guy named Charlie. Yeah, there's like, I won't give, like, there's a nice little meta story that kind of runs through the gameplay that I won't give away too much. But yeah, okay. basically it has that you're, you're a, you're a tourist coming back from this Mars colony to play a game of golf. Um, and the story is told to you uh, in two ways. One through this um, radio broadcasts that have a mix of sort of like, like, you know, just kind of like storytelling and original music across a bunch of different genres, which is really interesting. A lot of it's really well made. Um, and so I, I liked that part of the storytelling as well as in these various diary entries because you can play on what I think is, I think it's just called challenge mode. It's basically normal golf where you have par. And then uh, if you go above par, then your ball is set to explode and not like a crazy, it just kind of go, it, it basically resets you back at the beginning. The ball kind of jumps up and goes poof and disappears. And then it makes you go back to the beginning of the hole. Um, that's really, uh, it's like chat, it's challenging. Um, but the game feels like it's designed in a way f that is encouraging you to master it. Um, I really like a good golf game, especially one with story, especially one that's not like that's not trying to imitate actually playing golf all that much because I don't like actually playing golf. I've tried yeah. it. I'm not good at it. Um, and it's, I, I can't keep my attention. Um, but <laughs> I love games like golf story 
um, which was another sort of independent game. I think they came out probably around 2016 or 17. That's basically just a little like golf role playing game. Um, that was really sweet and super fun and very different and funny and charming. And this game is like basically a melancholy version of that. Uh, it's it's a very it's a very reflective sort of game that has like again sometimes it's politics can be a little schizophrenic, um, but at the same time it's it's not it's nice you know it's nice to have I've I've and actually I think everyone will see this in both all of my choices um, that recently I I've been gravitating toward games that you can kind of. I agree. I say this recently. This has been like the past five years, actually. I but I have I have over I have as I've gotten older gravitated towards games that you can definitely that are there's a clear way for you to sort of pick it up, play it for thirty minutes, and then put it back down again. Just because that sometimes that's all you have time for. I I used to be like a hundred twenty rp hour RPG guy, uh, and and in in my heart always will be. Of course, um, I will, I you know I. I, I I, I, but at the same time, games like even games like Dragon Quest, which are you know, have they they have a pacing to them. Most games feel like they're trying to get me to play them like all in one sitting, or to like, or or to like to to play them until my eyes glaze over, even though they're not meant to be playing, uh, played in 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 all in one sitting, I should say, but uh. There are some games that's just like they're not being. I feel like I'm being bullied by culture most of the time. I think I've talked about that on either this show or when I went on Horror Vanguard. I I, yeah. I feel like I'm being bullied by culture. It's trying to get. It's trying to constantly occupy my attention rather than like occupy a, a more intimate part of my attention by giving me something to do for 30 minutes and to think about for another 30 minutes or like these three games. The reason why I picked them, including golf club wasteland is because these are the games that I've thought about the most, I would say. And that also I had the just sort of pure, most enjoyable time playing, um, which is why despite some of the critiques that I've had of golf club wasteland, it's uh, on my list. I think it's, um, it's a nice, it's a nice game. It's so well paced. And I like a game that like is presenting some kind of a challenge to you, but is balanced. Since since we have like different modes with like since we've gotten really crazy, every game has five different difficulty modes or whatever. Yeah, and only two of those are actually decent, and one of those is the way that the game is meant to be played. And like instead, you can just have this golf game that gets harder as you go, but that gives you like. Like that is it's it, it's using nice environment and good art and a clean gameplay style that feels very fair to encourage you to master it, um, and that's got to be hard. To, I'm not a game developer, but that's got to be hard to do. And I think this small team accomplished that really well. Um, so yeah, round Could of applause for you, Golf Club. Before we applaud, uh, do you have any examples of the incoherent politics of it? I'm just really curious. I feel like this is kind of, there feels like the sort of, it seems to kind of conflate the like, and I think I've heard the developers describe it this way, that like forms of quote unquote attempting to sort of like 
scientifically structure society, I think is part, I know is in part a nod to Silicon Valley, which they're critiquing in the game, but I think is also a nod to like anti-communism a little bit. <laughs> and so it has this like, it's lib-brained. It's lib-brained. Right. It's lib-brained. That's it. Most, the, most of the critique is of like the weird techno right, like techno libertarianism. Um, but then every right. once in a while, there's some real lib brain takes on other stuff. Like I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Man, give us a break. We're like the one faction not <laughs> destroying the planet right now. Yeah, we don't, yeah. we don't. Come on. All right, round of applause for um, Golf Club Wasteland. <laughs> that does. Sound, I am gonna. I am gonna play that. Especially if it has kind of weird politics. I want to... It's always more fun. The next entry, uh, the next winner of the hotly contested and desired AGAB Game of the Year Award is, uh, I think, the only one that we have had an episode on before, but it's too good. It has to be discussed again. That is The Forgotten City. Anyone who has heard our episode on The Forgotten City will, some of these points will seem very familiar to them. Uh, but The Forgotten City, of course, is a, a game in which you find yourself in an underground, isolated city that appears to be uh, populated by Romans of ancient Rome. And uh, you quickly find out that the entire city is governed by a single law known as the golden rule which is that if you harm anyone else and the definition of that uh, gets a little uh, that's a somewhat of a contested matter uh, then everyone will turn to gold and, and die because that you know, te this tends to kill you um you however are stuck in a time loop so if you fuck up or you know if the golden rule is broken in in your day then you Go right back to the beginning with your memory of everything that had happened before and sometimes some items in your inventory. And so you use that to kind of unravel this mystery and try to get out of this situation. Uh, and it's really, really good. It's really well written. And it's really interested in history. I think one of the most important sort of things that happens in it is you slowly unraveling the historical continuity between kind of ancient societies because it's a Roman city. But uh, later in the game, you meet a literal uh, philosopher in a cave, uh, a literal Greek philosopher in a cave and have a, a debate with him, which is really interesting. Uh, and you discover that the Roman city was built on top of a Greek city. And below that, you find out that that Greek city was indeed built on an Egyptian city which itself was built on a Sumerian city. So it's inviting you to think about how historical civilizations develop. Now, of course, those civilizations were not... Sometimes people think of them as like a one-after-the-other sequence, but of course, uh, Greece, Rome, and, and Egypt in the ancient world uh, overlap. Uh, there was a period of time where all of them uh, existed. Uh, it, it wasn't just like Egypt stopped being a, <laughs> a presence, and then there was Greece, and then there was Rome. Uh, but there's a clear development 
uh, and, and sort of cultural sharing between them that they were very aware of. I mean, the Greek historian Herodotus wrote about how, uh, you know, Greece got all their gods from Egypt, just like really, you know, blatantly and, and openly like, yeah, that's where that came from. And it, it's such a, uh, it, it feels so different, I guess, from the kind of Abrahamic, our God is the one correct God sort of attitude that would, uh, at least in that part of the world, uh, develop in later years. And I think still kind of influences how we think about cultural development. And I think that a lot of, I mean, reactionaries definitely jump on that misconception to act as if like there's some singular whole like white Western conception that is isolated uh, from the rest of the world and stands on its own in history. And um, that's just not how anything works. And it's really cool to see a game that is, I'm, I'm maybe making it sound more academic than it is, but it's really not. It's just like a fun mystery game, but it, um, it's engaging with these ideas that I don't think really get talked about, uh, that much. And I think it does it really, really effectively. What did, what did you think, Kyle? Cause I know you've played this and we, we talked about it on the last episode. I want to play not, it uh, the episode we did on it on the last I one. I, I want to play it right now. That's how good it was. <laughs> it was so, it's so good. It was so good. And this is another, like, like, this is just like the, the, the idea that this mod, like the Skyrim mod, like got a full release and like a pen award or, <laughs> or whatever. It like won writing. Yeah. It won writing awards for writing awards. Aren't always perfect. They're often stupid, but just use it to describe this game. It's, it, it won awards for a reason in writing because it's just, I've never played anything like it. Mm -hmm. um i have been sort of thinking about it on and off ever since i played it yeah i've recommended it to a lot of people um and i find it sort of like the tensions that it explores is sort of like history and epistemology and like how we sort of like what we know about history and how we learn it and like this sort of like the philosophy of history, history as this sort of like object. Um, I find it so compelling um, and so interesting that I can't say enough good things about it that we just go listen to the episode. We just, we just like ranted yeah. and raved about this game. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to retread too much ground from that episode. Um, and even in that episode, I feel like there's so much more I could have said, which yeah. is, is fitting because um, my, and I think it speaks to how good the writing in this game is that my biggest criticism of it is I wish there was more. Um, yeah. This is the game I alluded to earlier that is made by like three guys. Uh, it's an incredibly small team. And as Kyle said, it's, it's, you know, grown out of a, a Skyrim mod. It was a very good Skyrim mod. Um, so th there's, there's points where, and this, it contrasts to my, uh, my final game uh, for later in the show. Uh, which has just so much fucking writing in it. Uh, whereas this game, it feels like sometimes you wish there was a little more. Uh, like, for example, there is a like a Roman centurion or, or like general guy, I forget. Um, and you can talk to him about all sorts of stuff. Uh, and at some point, he's talking a bit about like stuff that he did in his military career. And then your character who is, of course, from the modern day, responds, isn't that a war crime? 
Uh, to which this guy says, what the fuck is a war crime? <laughs> you know, surely war is war. And yeah. I, that, that was kind of the end of the conversation, unless I missed something, but I don't think I did. And that really made me want to like really get into it with this character. Cause like, that's such an interesting idea because the concept of rules of war is kind of bullshit. It, it's kind of based on this liberal fantasy of like a just properly done war that never really happens. Like I, I, I struggle to think of a time that like the U S for example, has invaded a country where it hasn't come out that there's been like massacres of civilians. There's been horrible sexual violence and just like things that are not, you know, not acceptable under the official rules of war, but who's enforcing those rules? Those rules don't get enforced on people with like serious geopolitical power. They can do whatever they want. But then they still, like, you know, get to stand around and be like, oh, we're doing it properly. But, the, you know, that, you know, whatever leader in, in country that we're trying to uh, overthrow, that's, you know, they're a, a despot war criminal. We wouldn't know anything about that. And it's like, yeah, uh, war is, uh, you know, hot take fucking horrible. And pretty much whenever it occurs, uh, the, you know, population being invaded uh, suffers awful shit. That's that's how war is. Um and by, I think that by the very act of introducing this idea of war crimes or like things that are, you know, you're allowed or not allowed to do in war, we do a lot of ideological work to kind of whitewash war to our populations because it's right that people were mad about it, but in a way it's kind of distressing that like the, like the, the awful shit that, um, that, uh, Chelsea Manning and WikiLeaks, uh, you know, released all those years ago really, shook a lot of people and, and got them turned against the war but like you should have assumed that kind of shit was happening that is what literally always happens but there's this there's this innocent until proven guilty attitude <laughs> um in, in war when it's uh you know a country that's deemed legitimate and their military is deemed legitimate um but like no this should be your assumption always this is what war is like because you can't convince a load of people to go somewhere and kill people unless you've done a certain amount of dehumanization of that people. And then that leads to abuse uh, of non-combatants, almost without exception. There's no, like, cool, appropriate, business-like war. Um, and I, I just think that having someone... I think that looking to history... I don't go on a bit here. I think that looking to history... Um, is really useful for getting people to question things that we kind of take as a given in the modern day. And I think that's one of them because rightly, if you went to some, you know, Roman general and talked about like war crimes, you'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and, and there's almost this honesty and lack of pretense. Whereas the U S will, um, you know, the modern U S will feel the need to, uh, brand their wars. Some like we're doing it in a nice way. <laughs> <laughs> which I think to most people throughout history is just like total madness. Um, and I think that's something to consider because it's, it's no truer now than it would have been if they said it back then, you know? Yeah, that's true. Uh, so if we could all get out our, um, our Roman cornum, the, uh, <laughs> uh, army, uh, the, an army signal horn, uh, and 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 declare our respect, un undying respect toward a, a historical ass game. 
Yeah, people should play that one. Absolutely. It's a really, really good game. You won't be disappointed. Um, there's a whole finale sequence that, if you're if those sort of themes we were talking about sounded interesting to you, that really goes hard on those that I'm not going to spoil. Uh, I don't remember. I think I might have spoiled it in the episode, but whatever. It's, it's a good game. Round of applause for The Forgotten City uh, by... Uh, the Forgotten City, made by developer Modern Storyteller. Good game. Good game. Number number four on our list of uh, things that are good is the um, point-and-click puzzle indie, indie point-and-click puzzle game Unpacking. Uh, developed by Witchbeam and uh, Australians. Like, wow, I'm impressed, Australia. Um, I like to think of you as the Florida <laughs> of the Anglo world. Um, so I've always had a lot of respect for Australia. Um, but uh, yeah, unpacking. That's all. It's an extended bit. I'm not doing like anti-ironic Australian racism. That's for the Italians. Um, <laughs> uh, unpacking is this really is another really quiet kind of point-and-click puzzle game. That's essentially about unpacking boxes and placing objects into various spaces throughout the unnamed protagonist's life. And she is, you learn a lot about her without really actually even meeting her. Um, and you learn that she's artistic. Uh, you see her struggle through some relationships and stuff via the unpacking of her life. Uh, I, I, I don't want to spoil it because it's a, the game itself is a couple hour experience, a few hour experience. I think you can probably beat it in like three or four hours. Um, I went really slow with it. I played it mostly on an airplane, actually, on a, like a big cross-Atlantic flight. And it's like, unpacking is meticulously made. Uh, I, th- I think I saw moving around sort of the games journalism universe that it, they said that they have 14 different, 14,000 different audio files uh, to basically make all of the noises of the objects that you pick up, place down, take out of things. Everything has its own unique sort of sense. The, the attention to detail in this sort of like unpacking everyday life simulator sort of thing, along with this like sort of meta story that goes through unless you really like it. What it does for me, one, it's such a well-made game. It's beautiful. The soundtrack is awesome. Uh, this game is basically... Uh, it's like it's like uh, uh, Xanax, the video game. <laughs> like it has this like it is it 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 has this like it's very it's a casual game. It's not rushing you. It has this like very calm and kind sense of what it asks from the player, which is to experiment honestly with these ordinary objects and placing them as such, um, and using that to learn about an unnamed protagonist. Um, it, it's like and also like not only is it just like a really good game that anybody could play that anyone could get you find yourself doing like oh that's so neat you find yourself doing a lot of like 
like when you hang up a towel, when you unpack a towel, it's folded. And if you hang it on a hook, all of a sudden the towel comes unraveled and hangs down like it's on a hook. But if you hang it on a, uh, um, a regular towel rack, you place it over the towel rack as you usually do. You can plug, you take out your video, get you unpack a video game system. And then you, if you put it in the right spot of the TV, you can turn it on with the TV and it'll function. <laughs> like you can, you unpack your computer. One of the first things I think you can get to work that way is your PC. You unpack a PC. And if you, once you have everything set up where it's supposed to be, you press the power button and that thing just turns on. And it's like, oh. wow. It's, it, it's the <laughs> simplest stuff that gets the, just like, gets you like soy facing. It's like so kind and generous that way in it's sort of like introspection it gives you a chance to kind of like acknowledge the all of the like the discursive stuff that's in all of the objects that are all around us that is like it, like there's a good example in front of me in front of me i have this um yeah if i can pick it up it's a model of an old pickup truck some like 1940s model something it looks like a i don't know exactly actually don't even know exactly what it's supposed to be um it's made in carlton texas carrollton texas sorry texas um (laughs) and uh, it's got this little black dog that sits in the bed of the truck that unfortunately came unglued so he just kind of like sometimes he gets rocked and it turns out he's like sleeping on the side of the back of the truck or whatever uh this uh this old dusty little object that sits on my desk was my grandfather's who passed away a couple of years ago and who I was really, really close with. Um, and that is like on this object, if you didn't know it, like the mirrors move, um, like they're real, they're pretty fucked up at this point. So I don't move them, but they can, I know they can move and you've got this little, it's got a chip in the front, but it's got, and then you've got this little dog that sits in the back. And then if you look on the bottom, you can see where it was made. And if you look on this side, you can see sort of like these little chips from when I dropped it when we were moving. Um, It's got like, there's so much meaning in this small object that just sits on my desk. And I got to say, that's kind of the feeling that I have when I plan packing. That like, no object is isolated, like but is sort of like filled with the discourse of history. That's not just yeah. context that sort of places it in its time and place and like removes it, but like it's context that comes and moves with us. It's a game that recognizes objects in history as this active moving process that I find really compelling and very special. Um, the stuff that I don't really see much in video games about objects like this. I made a video um, that uh, uh, with my good friend, uh, K that Hi. addressed a lot of this. Um, and instead using, I hadn't played unpacking yet. I could have very easily, I used uh, Katamari Damashi as an example <laughs> of cataloging modernity and using to talk about Walter Benjamin in a little bit. Um, but I feel like I could have used unpacking as well. I don't think it would have had the same sort of like, because Katamari Damashi is kind of like a maximalist game, and this game is very quiet and reserved in comparison. Um, but it has the same sort of like special meaning, I think, to me. And in these sort of, and this, like, there's no dialogue or nothing. Like, you just have these little objects. 
but you learn so much about the character. You don't even know her name, but you know that she graduated from college because you unpack her, di- unpack her diploma. You know she's artistic because you unpack all these pens and all these art supplies and all these drawings that you can then hang up on your wall. You know she loves her family. You unpack stuff from them. You know, like you learn so much um, through just sort of like the acting as this kind of like spectral caretaker of these objects. And I think it's really beautiful. I think it's a really, really good game. That's quick. Um, I think it's like 10, it's 20 bucks. Yeah. It's such, it's such an intimate concept when you think about it, right? Like unpacking someone else's life, basically Mm -hmm. like there's, you know, it's, you know, the, the home, the personal possessions, that's the most sort of like, intimate thing that most people kind of you know have you know you don't just let anyone into your house you don't you know you wouldn't just let random people like fucking you know pack and unpack your house that's your shit you know right. um and you know i know when i've had to move so many fucking times because renters modern renters are semi-nomadic and it's insane um and but every time it's kind of an emotional experience you're going through all these things, all these artifacts of, of your life and the lives of others around you often, um, or, or preceding you. Uh, so I, I don't know. I love the concept of that for a game because it is so personal, uh, to just get that. That's such a great way to tell a story about someone and about sort of the sort of relationship they have to these things and perhaps to other people who are connected to these things. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, uh, Three cheers for unpacking, which will no, which no doubt has already topped other year-end lists. I think it has been kind of an indie smash hit, which uh, good for Witchbeam. Uh, yeah, congrats! Oh, yeah. Made such a you made you made something. <laughs> I'm sure you worked hard on it because the detail, the level of the detail in this game is intimidating. It's very cool. My final winner of the Agab Game of the Year Awards is a game I'm I'm a little amazed that we haven't done an episode on, but we have together made a video about it. And you might be saying, hang on, this game didn't come out this year. Wrong. Disco Elysium came out in 2021 in the <laughs> form of The Final Cut. which added some new uh, missions that made it fully voice acted. It's kind of the, I consider it the full release. Um, and I, of course I played the, the original uh, release of the game as well as this one. And it, it's a difficult game to talk about because this to me is the simply the greatest game ever made. It is uh, at the very least, the greatest RPG. It is an incredible achievement of, of writing uh, just narratively uh, of communicating political ideas in a text. It is, I, I, I've got no notes. S- send it out. It's perfect. Um, so Disco Elysium is set in a world very similar to our own. It is a uh, very sort of stagnant, depressed neoliberal order with the living in kind of the aftershock of a, of a revolutionary period that is now you know, fully extinguished and behind us, or so it is considered. 
Um, and I think that it does a really good job of creating a world that feels like the real world feels. The, the known world is kind of being slowly engulfed by this thing called the pale, just this unknowable sort of abyss that is slowly swallowing up everything. And then, and in the video that we make about it, um, I, I discuss kind of some of the meaning I take from that at some length, but I think that the real world can really feel like that, uh, especially the past maybe 20, 30 years. You know, it feels like just this enclosure on what is possible and what can even be thought about. And you you almost don't realize sometimes until you hear people from like the 50s talk like... Carl Sagan's always one of my big go-tos. He is a socialist who grew up in an era when things could change and be changed, and he was insanely utopian. All he did was talk about how fucking awesome we could make things. You know, he had really, really high hopes for what could be done uh, with science. He was extremely interested in the idea of sort of spacefaring and going and exploring and expanding the known universe to us. And that his legacy has kind of been hijacked by people like Elon Musk, who are selling a grift to get uh, <laughs> uh, fuckloads of like government contracts with the promise of kind of delivering on the sincere dreams of people like Carl Sagan, uh, which he will not. Uh, and I think that's really emblematic of the time we live in. Right, the pale has has encroached uh, uh, and and consumed those possible sort of utopian ideas those are gone now um but still you know within the real is is the demons (laughs) but um if you haven't heard already uh disco elysium is a text-based rpg it doesn't really have any combat you do make your character but your skills rather than like magic and sword based skills is it's things like your empathy your visual calculus your drama or logic uh maybe your reaction speed because it's all detective work and discussion and just trying to interact with a world that is you seem at times woefully unfit to exist in uh and yes yeah, same bro <laughs> and it's fucking amazing it's a great game what, what was your experience with disco elysium kyle um well, three Two and a half playthroughs later. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's it's everything that everyone says it is, especially if you like text-based things. But it's so thoughtful. Uh, what I like most about the games that we've described so far today is that they're at, like, they're oftentimes in very sort of, like, tense historical moments and situations that, like, normally contemporary video games would be like now here's a big gun and go liquefy everybody that's how that's what it means like like golf club wasteland is one of the first post-apocalyptic games that i've played in a while that wasn't about like liquidating my enemies literally with like some weird alien technology or something it's not about like going out and doing as much violence as possible and the mechanics of the game aren't based off of those kinds of like shows those like showing strength in that way rather it takes the harder route which is forces you to go inward and to sort of like rethink 
the the way that video games are made and Disco Elysium does this more than any game I've ever played. It's one of the best games I've ever played and it's one of the most interesting, compelling pieces of art I've seen in the past like 10 years. Definitely. I don't know what else to say about it besides that it's kind of perfect. Um, it was perfect and then they remastered and re-released it and then it became more perfect somehow. It, like even the polish like didn't end up like so po- polish polishing on a game like that can sometimes take away sort of the rough texture of it. But Disco Elysium just is so present in the world that it's constructed and it feels so like understandable. It's like comprehensible and, re- and relatable um, in a way that like other games aren't even even in a, it's kind of sort of it's a, like a fictionalized version of our world sure but like that has its own like identity and like yeah. like that really like knows what it is and so yeah i i like like if you haven't played it yet why <laughs> like like yeah. if, what 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 are you waiting for for real like it's hey it may not be for everybody it may not be but boy I every single person who I like there there is a rule that after you play Disco Elysium you have to harass everyone in your life who you think would <laughs> like it and get them to play it and ev- like I got harassed by a bunch of people and I'm like fine fine I'll play it and I'm like this is one of the greatest games I've ever played and thus have yeah. gone on to harass my loved ones and all the ones who have taken the dive and ended up playing it all loved it all of ever well, like batten a thousand like it's 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 absurd. No game has ever been able to do that for for me. I've never seen that happen. It's a yeah. it's a remarkable feat. I'm someone who I think can potentially be and and sometimes is very very affected by art. And when something really hits me like Disco Elysium, I just like you say, uh, it, it's uh, I, I become I, I just have to tell everyone. <laughs> I, I'm just grabbing people by the shoulders, like you. This game, this fucking game, um, and, and this was definitely one. It has this all too familiar sadness about it, but it's it's such a human type of sadness that it it just it's kind of what it feels like to be a communist today. I think just you, everything around you is can feel so like brutalizing but simultaneously just completely spurs you to act and try to make things better even if in some small way because it's it's too human not to it's too human to turn your back on you know and that is how this game feels uh, in, in in a lot of ways and the fact that they they were able to capture that kind of feeling in a, a you know a fictional world uh is a massive fucking achievement the developers um zaum or za slash um i don't really know how you say it uh but it's great i've i've only met one person who doesn't like it and if you're listening to this you know who you are i respect your insane opinion um but i think if if this sounds like something you'll like you will probably really like it so give it a shot and that's why it's uh one of our our game of the year winners Right. Um, I think that brings us to our final entry. This is a game 
that for people who are familiar with my video essay content may have encountered, I'll be, I'm sure you may be, um, encountered elsewhere, but, uh, uh, a game called Before Your Eyes, which was developed by Goodbye World Games, uh, and came out earlier this year in April, I believe. Essentially, it's a it's a narrative game where you play a character named uh, Benjamin Brin, who has, uh, as you know in the beginning, already sort of passed away, and you're being ferried into the afterlife um, by a ferryman, uh, and you're basically the the goal is to you're going to go the ferryman is going to bring you to a gatekeeper, and then you're going to recount your life to the gatekeeper, and if you're deemed worthy and you're able to enter the gatekeeper's paradise, uh, the ferryman gets a reward, or if not, you become... I won't say what happens in that. That's 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 for you to find out after you please play this game. It is... Uh, um, it's a... Basically, you, you recount your childhood, and the uh, um, main mechanic of the game, there's two things. You use your mouse to kind of do some pointing and to look around, and also, you your webcam detects your blinks. It's hard to play if you have glasses. Is one of the only things I did. Um, I thought do some look to work around with that. You can even play it without the blinking mechanic, and you can blink using your space bar. But I think it's really if you're able to play it with the webcam, try and get it does a calibration thing at the beginning of it to try and get it right. Uh, take your time with that calibration and use the blinking mechanic because the whole purpose of the game is that you when you're Going through these memories, um, uh, it, you, you, there's sometimes where this little metronome will appear on the bottom of the screen, and you know at that moment if the web if your webcam detects your blink, it will jump forward in time, um, basically without your permission, um, and it has this sort of like this very realistic effect on the way that memory sort of functions as a formative process for sub human subjects. And how we, it's this sort of fragmented and fractured thing, this like beautifully sad kind of production of fiction that we use to shape our, that we use to make meaning in our lives. Um, and it's done, through, it's done so through a very heartbreaking story. This is a game that is going for, it's going for you. <laughs> like it's like, like it's, it's, it's a tragedy. The game at the core of the game is, are several tragedies, but, it's up to you to sort of explore and figure out what it all means and then to retell your story um, at the end of it. It's one of the most moving games I've ever played. I think the only game... I think the... I have played a couple of games over the past several years that have re dealt really compellingly with death. The other one that comes to mind is the game Spiritfarer, which is... Oh, that's I can't, good. I can't think about that game without crying. It's like... Yeah. It is so, like... It's none of these games are like, and we've talked, I've talked about this on the podcast before. I have, I feel like I'm not just being bullied by culture, but I also feel like culture thinks I'm like this little baby who can't handle stuff. And so I have to like, I don't know. It's just like, I feel very infantilized by a lot of culture. 
mostly in its inability to even discuss stuff like this. But games like Spirit Fair and Before Your Eyes, while they often don't really pull punches, they're still very kind and generous games that are or that use the difficult subject matter to sort of universalize their goals and whims of the game itself. And it has this remarkable effect on our, our the way that we experience this game that I think has so much, like, I think it has so much to offer. Um, and yeah, I talked about it at length in a YouTube essay. Um, that was essentially about memory um, and the sort of power that's in memory. Um, I think it is personally, I think it is by far my best work on in video essay form uh, easily, easily. Um, and thus why I'm plugging it. But uh, <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> the game was really impactful for me. It was the best game I played this year. It's if I had to rank them, it's, it's at the top of the rankings. And, uh, um, and f- for purely at the very least, if, if not for being a, like an entertaining, interesting sort of engrossing experience, um, it takes a se- it takes a couple, it's another game that you can play through in just a couple of hours. Um, but for having this, for sort of stirring up within me, the, conversation that i've been having with myself a lot recently about the role and functions of memory and how we make and think about history um i think this game has a lot to say about the way that our personal stories uh are so much bigger than just ourselves um and that even even living on in the memory of our loved ones and the people who are around us means that we is an urgence towards some kind of infinity on behalf of our very, like we're so small uh, and we feel so powerless, but even just, even if we're able to live on in the hearts of our loved ones, we're able to exist beyond our small little atomized existences. And that's something that I think we, I, I, I like the idea that that could be brought to people in an age where we're increasingly pushed apart from each other and, our imagination just gets smaller and smaller and more finely regulated and our inability to think beyond our atomized selves is just gets more difficult. And games like this use that to sort of go inward and emerge somehow emerge outside of the self, you know, they go like, you know, you go further into deeper into the crevasse so you can actually climb your way out. It's, it has this, it has this effect and it's really good and I really like it. And I think people should play it. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's really good. That sounds incredible. Uh, unfortunately I, I hadn't uh, had time to play that one, but that was the one I really, uh, want to play really soon. Um, it, I don't know. It seems right up my alley. Yeah. Uh, I'm really interested in the blinking mechanic. Do you ever find yourself like, trying really hard to keep your eyes open because you don't want to see the end or yep exactly oh, and get my ass kicked yeah. by this game man it's really <laughs> like it's hard to play sometimes but like yeah, that's what that's the point it's you don't want to and it doesn't push you it's never pushing you away but it's also not holding your hand it's it's forcing you to kind of explore and deal with 
some tough issues that I think are really, I think it's really important. I think it's really important. I think that is all the games of the year. We've done it. Yeah. uh, No one has to play any other games except for those six. Yeah. The game awards were canceled because uh, they just can't. They heard, they saw our like real, like neat, tidy, awesome list. And they went, well, what are we even doing? Like, yeah. I mean, a lot of the actual game award winners were fucking bullshit. So probably I didn't even look. (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't either, but everyone on Twitter was talking about it. So I just saw a bunch of them and I was like, that's not, come on. That's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that's it. 2021 um, was a pretty good game. Pretty good game. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, good it, was a, it was a good game. It was a good and game, I, bro. <laughs> as a video game, I give it a 6.2 out of 10. Um, yeah. I was going to say it was a good year for games, if nothing else. Um, specifically for like interesting indie games. The past few years have been really good years for interesting indie games. And I hope that, that it keeps happening. Uh, I expect next year there will be at least one uh, big studio game present because from software is releasing a game next year and I am a big piggy for them. (laughs) So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, I think that's it from us. Unless you have any, any kind of a closing statement. Thanks for listening for a year. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. It's our every fuck every every game of the year video is also going to be our anniversary video, our podcast mm-hmm. anniversary. That's, That's cute. Right. Hell yeah. yeah, yeah. Thanks for listening for a year, guys. I hope that it's been interesting, and I know I've I've enjoyed. Uh, I, I really like the format of our podcast where we get to just sink our teeth into a, into a game and and not worry about much else in, in each episode. You know. That's nice. Yeah, I think we've done. Uh, I think we've done ourselves. Are uh, we've done done well by ourselves in our with our our, our weird gay little show? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's that's just not. It, it's good. People like it too. We appreciate. We see your feedback and stuff, and like we hear you. We see you, and we appreciate you for liking our stuff. Um, yeah. Where can the good people find you? Labor Kyle, spelt the American way on Twitter and YouTube. Um, go watch my essay on Before Your Eyes. Um, and go follow the... Uh, go to Twitter and follow at Profane Show um, and get ready for the first episode, which should be going up on Zero Books. YouTube channel on the week of the... 16, 17, 18, on the week of the 20th, next uh, December 20th. So check out that. Yes. Do, do check out that. That's going to be banging. Uh, as for me, you can find me on YouTube at KN Skittles, where I make good ass videos. You can follow me on Twitter at KN Skittles, and I stream under the same name on Twitch every Saturday and Sunday. If uh, if you want to come around and see me do that, I just finished Singularity, which was a very funny like Bioshock, but uh, for some reason in in uh, like the USSR. Uh, <laughs> so I I don't know what I'm gonna do next. It'll be something. It'll be video games. You know how it is. 
I guess I'll take us out on um, the the New Year's song that we're all so fond of. Um, and then just play that Final Fantasy is an RPG. <laughs> <laughs> All right, A-Gab, I'll put that the in. The unofficial Agab theme song. The third theme. The third theme. <laughs> All right, that'll be the, that'll be the outro this time. <laughs> Final Fantasy is an RPG. The only one that I need is the RPG for me. Final Fantasy is all that I play. All other games are lame. It puts them all to shame. I only play games that are popular. I only buy the games on that game. It's only to buy.